Well, if you've uh, just joined us uh, this morning, several weeks ago we began a, a series which we've entitled The Battle for Truth. And really, the battle for truth is the battle for God's Word. And in practical terms, it's the battle for souls. Because we, as the good soldiers of Jesus Christ, have been commissioned by the Lord to go into a hostile world, a world of darkness, a world controlled by the devil. And we have been called to be lights, to go out and to preach the good news to every person. And we're going to run into opposition. It's going to be a battle. The battle is going to be waged really primarily in the minds of people for control of their thought lives, for control of their thinking. That's what spiritual warfare really is. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And the Bible says that we, with the truth of God, are to tear down these strongholds. Every lofty thought and ideal that exalts itself against the true knowledge of God, bringing every, every philosophy, every ideology into obedience to Christ. That's what spiritual warfare is. It's an ideological warfare waged for the souls of men and women, and it's a battle for truth. And so we have been looking at truth, but first of all, by looking at the lie. The devil, of course, has infected this world with many false doctrines. But we have been looking at one, in, one primarily. Uh, it's called the lie, not just a lie, but the lie, a very specific lie, which Satan told Eve in the Garden of Eden that eventually caused the fall of mankind. And as we have said before, let me just say one more time, that the lie that Satan used against mankind in the beginning is going to be the ultimate deception he's going to use against mankind in the end. Because when the Antichrist comes, he is going to be professing the lie. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that those people, who do not want to receive the gospel, the love of the truth, that they might be saved. When the Antichrist comes, God will allow uh, them to be deceived. He will send them strong delusion that through the Antichrist's ministry, they, they might believe the lie. Paul talked about this lie also in Romans chapter 1. He said that God has shown himself clearly to the people of this world through creation, so that they are without excuse. And those people that refuse to acknowledge God and be thankful to God, well, instead of worshiping the true and living God, they turn and worship the creation instead of the Creator. And because of it, Paul goes on to say, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, and therefore God is going to give them up to uncleanness and deception. Now, the lie that Satan told Eve was made up of four different false doctrines. These come out of Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And I'm only going to tell you what they are. I'm not going to explain them at all because we already looked at these in detail. But very quickly, they are, first of all, the four elements of the lie that Satan told Eve, uh, which eventually caused the fall of the human race, was first of all that God is not personal, but an impersonal force that fills the universe and everyone and everything in it. This is pantheism. Secondly, there is no, no ultimate death. You will not surely die, Eve. That became the basis for the doctrine of reincarnation. We can become gods. He told Eve, you will be like God. And finally, enlightenment is the path to godhood. He knows that in the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, Eve, your eyes will be opened. So enlightenment is the path to God. Now, as we said, 
Satan planted this lie in the Garden of Eden almost 6,000 years ago. And it has been growing and developing and spreading. And we've likened it to a massive tree whose branches now extend over the whole earth and has filled the world with deadly fruit, the fruit of false doctrine. But these branches that have grown out of this lie include all the false religions and cults in the world. Each one has just a slight variation on the lie. But they've all come from this one main lie that Satan told in the garden so many years ago. Let's look at some of these branches, because that's the title of today's message, The Lie Branches Out. Let's look at a few of these branches that have come from the lie. Let's look, first of all, at the New Age movement. The New Age movement is one of the fastest growing movements in America. Douglas Grithuis, who's an expert on the New Age, has said that New Age ideas are no longer limited to a few oddball mystics. They make up a deep cultural trend touching many aspects of life today. New Age books on subjects like meditation, healing, crystals used for meditation and healing, and reincarnation are always top sellers in bookstores across this country. He goes on to say, just glance at the size of the New Age section of your local bookstore. It used to be called the occult section. Remember in years, years ago, you go into a bookstore and you'd find the occult section all the way in the back, just a little couple of shelves, you know, and weird, you know, all the way stuck in the back. Now it's got a whole section. It covers, it covers numerous shelves. It's called the New Age, New Age section. Gratuitous says it's big business. Of course, the New Age movement's beliefs are not new at all. They're just westernized Hinduism, the lie that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We said last time, C.S. Lewis, great Christian apologist, studied the major religions and cults of the world and traced all of their origins back to two primary sources, Judeo-Christianity and Hinduism, both of which got their start in the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, you had the truth of God, which became the basis for Judeo-Christianity, and you had the lie of the devil, which spawned Hinduism and many, many other things that we're going to, some of the things we're talking about this morning. But the New Age movement believes that we are God. We've just forgotten it. You know, how you forget your God, I'm not sure. What kind of God are you that you can forget your God? That's why Shirley MacLaine every morning reminds herself for the first five minutes of the day that I'm God. She says, I'm God, I'm God. We're going to keep reminding yourself that you're God. Pretty soon you begin to think you're God. And you act like you're a God. But uh, they believe that we are all gods within and that we are going through a spiritual evolution through the process of reincarnation. So every time you live a life on this earth and you live a good life and you die, you are reincarnated and you come back a little more evolved, a little more enlightened until you finally evolve uh, through many different lives uh, over many hundreds or even thousands of years into godhood. That's what they basically believe. But being God, each one of us, even at this point in our evolutionary process, has the God force within us. And we must learn through visualization, meditation, other techniques to tap into this God force and use it then for our benefit or for the benefit of the world. Now you say, well, do they really believe this stuff? Yes, they really do. In fact, in the mid-1980s, New Age groups all over the world, simultaneously came together for what they call the World Peace Movement. Maybe you remember this. I do. 
with the hope of bringing peace to the world through collective meditation. It was a process that they called the harmonic convergence. And the idea was that if enough people all over the world simultaneously would visualize world peace at exactly the same time, 12 noon Greenwich Mean Time, their combined positive mental energy would create a critical mass of consciousness that would catapult the world into a new age. Of course, nothing happened, and so the critics called it the moronic convergence, although four years later when the Soviet Union fell, these folks took credit for it. But those involved in the movement are looking for a new Messiah who will come, who when he comes will be the latest reincarnation of the Christ spirit, the same spirit that inhabited Jesus, who was the Messiah for this present age, the Piscean age, but there is coming a new Messiah who will bring in a new age, the age of Aquarius. Remember that song back in the 60s? This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. They were looking, been looking for this for a long time. But they believe that when he comes, he's going to unite the world into one single unified global community and bring to man, mankind a beautiful new age of peace and prosperity. Now that fits exactly what the Bible says is going to happen at one point in the not-so-distant future, we believe, there's going to arise on the world scene a leader. The Bible calls him the Antichrist, or at least we do. He goes by many different names in Scripture. And we know that the Bible says that when the Antichrist comes, he's going to lead the world into a time of pseudo-peace and prosperity. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 5. He said, for when they say, the people of this world, when they say, peace and safety, ah, our Messiah is here. Isn't this wonderful? He's brought us to, a, to a, a new age of prosperity and peace. But Paul said, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And he's talking there about God's wrath being poured out upon this Christ-rejecting world. Now, that's 1 Thessalonians 5. In 1 Thessalonians 4, at the end of the chapter, Paul talks about the rapture. And how God's going to, before he pours his wrath out upon the earth, and I believe before the Antichrist even makes his appearance on the world scene, the church is going to be taken off this earth. Now it's interesting that New Agers believe that before this new Messiah will appear and the, king, and the new age will come, they believe that the earth will go through what they call a cleansing cycle. You see, all the people with these light, lower vibratory brain waves, guess who they are? monotheists, Jews, Christians, Muslims. See, our lower, we're, lower, we're less evolved spiritually because we don't believe in the New Age doctrines. And so we're less evolved. We're you know, kind of on the scale of, the, of the, uh, you know, the animal kingdom, I guess. And so our lower vibratory brain waves are hindering the collective consciousness from reaching a critical mass necessary to catapult this world into a new age. So they believe the earth is going to go through a cleansing cycle and these people are just going to disappear. Interesting explanation for the rapture, if you think about it. So that's where they're coming from. But what are some of the other religious movements that the lie has spawned? Well, how about Mormonism? How about Mormonism? Brigham Young, successor to Joseph Smith, speaking on June 8, 1873, said, and I quote, The devil told the truth. I do not blame Mother Eve. 
I would not have had her miss eating the forbidden fruit for anything in the world. And then he went on in that sermon to explain that it was through Eve's eating of the forbidden fruit that the pathway to godhood was open to humanity. Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism, said this, and I quote, The fall of man came as a blessing in disguise. I never speak of the part Eve took in this fall as sin, nor do I accuse Adam of sin. We can hardly look upon anything resulting in such benefits as being sin, end quote. So think about it. Mormonism is based on the idea that the lie the serpent told Eve was actually the truth. It is the, um, the foundational truth of Mormon theology that people can become a god. Mormons can become gods. It is the goal of every Mormon to become a god. Many Christians believe that Mormons are Christians. Many Christians believe that Mormons and Christians worship the same God. First of all, in the early days, the Mormon church really distanced themselves from Christians. They always taught that they were way above Christians. Christians really had it all wrong. In fact, Joseph Smith said, and I quote, all Christian creeds are an abomination, end quote. Brigham Young said, all Christians are groveling in darkness. The Christian's God is the Mormon's devil. And John Taylor, third Mormon president, said, Christianity was hatched in hell. It's a perfect pack of nonsense. The devil could not have invented a better engine to spread his work, end quote. See, in the early days, they distanced themselves from Christians, but now they've kind of morphed into this quasi-Christian form. Around Christmas time, you know, they have the beautiful commercials on television. They have some of these beautiful Christmas shows they sponsor. Uh, very touching, heartwarming show. I remember one, especially with Jimmy Stewart, that was on, sponsored by the Mormon Church. You see the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing wonderful, beautiful Christmas songs. I would not own a CD from the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. All that is designed to do is to get people into the Mormon Church. And today they kind of package themselves as Christians. And many Christians think they are Christians. And we all worship the same God. Do you realize that the Mormon God, God the Father was once a man, just like we men. There's a person just like we are. He lived on a planet called Kolob, about six foot tall. But he lived an exemplary life and eventually ascended to Godhood, where he had now his own planet Earth, his own Adam and Eve. And, of course, he's not alone in the cosmos. There are millions of these uh, beings that have evolved to God. Who they got their own planet Earths and their own Adam and Eves and everything else. Is this the Christian God? A lot of Christians don't understand what Mormonism really is and what it teaches because they only show you the very Christian side of it. you got to peel back some of the layers and get down to the core and find out what, they're really, what they really believe. Well, how about something else? Let's look at Scientology. You know, Scientology has become very popular since movie stars like John Travolta and Tom Cruise have become members of the Church of Scientology. You say, well, what is Scientology? Let me give you a quick synopsis, okay, of what it is. Scientology teaches that we were all once uncreated, omnipotent, omniscient uh, beings called Thetans. Now, somebody said that's Satan with a lisp. And uh, maybe it is. I, I don't know. 
but as thetans, we created this universe, messed, matter, energy, space, time. We created it all. Then we created little creatures to inhabit it. But we got so intrigued by these little creatures, we decided to incarnate into them. And as these creatures died and were reincarnated, and they died and reincarnated, this happened millions of times over billions of years, eventually they evolved to the place of human beings. But by this time, we were so far removed from our origin as Thetans, we forgot we were Thetans. We forgot we were God. Who does that sound like? New Age Movement. We forgot that we were God. So Scientology takes you through a psychotherapeutic process and intermingled with occult methodologies and other things to regress you back through these prior lives where you get delivered from the engrams. What are the engrams? They're traumas that cause you to forget who you really are. And I got this right off of a Scientology website. These engrams create unconsciousness, uh, lapses in your understanding of who you really are. They, they define unconsciousness this way. that could be caused by the shock of an accident, uh, anesthetic used in an operation, the pain of an injury, or the delirium of an illness. All of these things could cause you to become unconscious, quote-unquote. You're not really unconscious, but you've stopped operating at the higher level of consciousness, and now you're operating at the lower level. And so through a psychotherapeutic process, just a mixture of, of, of spirituality and science and psychology all packaged together, and the goal is to help you through kind of a quasi a scientific and psychotherapeutic process to regress you back, get you in touch with, you know, your origin so that you realize that you are actually a functioning, operating thetan so that, I mean, so that you can <laughs> tap into this power within and reach your full potential. Now that brings us to the human potential movement because we got to talk about this as well. The human potential movement. This is big stuff. Big stuff. In fact, several years ago, the New York Times reported that major companies, including Ford, Westinghouse, Calvin Klein, and scores of others, were sending their employees for, for um, human potential training. Of course, that was several years ago. Today, it's just, it's just common. But the human potential movement is really nothing more than a branch of the New Age movement. Many companies under the banner of human potential and increased productivity have begun to call in teachers who will hold classes that will teach New Age doctrines, which are not presented as spiritual truths or doctrines. They are passed off as uh, the latest trends in science and psychology. It's all about, really, the power of the mind based on the Hindu New Age belief that the God force flows through us. And so if we have the God force in us, we have unlimited potential within. We just have to learn to tap into it. And so through these classes, and they teach right there at the company, uh, these teachers will teach classes on creative visualization, meditation techniques. Of course, the idea is to help employees cope with stress in the workplace. That's a big thing today. We'll teach you how to meditate, how to relax. It sounds so wonderful. We'll teach you how to tap into that potential within uh, through visualization. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But the idea is that we're helping you to get in touch with some force within you that will be strong enough to solve all your problems. Sometimes these classes are not so subtle. A seminar called New Age Thinking has been offered by companies like ABC TV, 
NASA, Eastman Kodak, McDonald's, AT&T, IBM, the U.S. Army, General Motors Corporation, and others, because these companies and organizations really believe that these courses will help their employees to reach their full potential. It is really just a variation of tapping into the God force within to realize one's own divinity. Now, they are packaging it as a spiritual thing, so they're not calling it that. But that's what it's taken from. That's where the New Agers are coming from. And if you'll open your door to let a New Age girl come in and teach principles that they don't really call spirituality, they don't really call uh, achieving God consciousness, it's human potential. You can package it in kind of a scientific terminology, but it's all, all it is, is is New Age spirituality dressed up in pseudoscientific terms. That's all it is. It's based on the same lie that Satan told Eve. Eve, you don't need God for anything. In fact, he's really nervous that you're going to eat the forbidden fruit and become like him, take his place. The human potential movement is really self-deification, wrapped up in pseudoscientific terms. And that's really what the human potential movement does. It's just a variation of tapping into the God force within and the realization of one's own divinity. Norman Vincent Peale, who many of you no doubt have heard of, one of the leading proponents and prophets, really, of the human potential movement and the power of positive thinking, has said this, and I quote, Prayer is simply communicating with the deep unconscious, end quote. So God is not a transcendent God that is outside of his creation that we pray to. God is really within it's the deep unconscious that I have to kind of tap into. And prayer is nothing more than just a technique of tapping into this power. And if prayer is just a technique to tap into the power, what's wrong with creative visualization or other meditation techniques? If the goal is to tap into this power, and really that power is available to anybody, we don't have to pray as Christians pray. We can just whatever allows us to tap into that, that power within that's what the human potential movement itself. Of course, it's a movement devoid of God, really. It's a, it's a movement that looks to self to, be, to have the power to overcome problems and, uh, and the various um, handicaps or, uh, or bad habits or, or so on. It's just another variation of a lie. Let's look at one more. How about Freemasonry? Sometimes I get people who ask me the question, what about Freemasonry? What is it? Freemasonry is an anti-Christian religious cult. Now, Freemasons would absolutely go berserk if they heard me say that because they pride themselves on not being a religion. And they will tell you, we are not a religion. We're a group of people that come together we believe in morals and values. We don't try to promote any one God. And so therefore, you can be a Christian or a Jew or a Hindu and be a Freemason. We're not into defining God. We're not into telling you what to believe. And yet, one of the persons who has written an encyclopedia on Freemasonry, the one that they all look to to be the, uh, the expert, he says, yes, we're a religion. Absolutely, in a 15,000-word essay, he, he said very clearly, we are a religion. There's no two ways around it. We believe in God. 
We gather together around an altar for prayer. Yes, we're definitely believe in certain dogmas. Yes, we are definitely a religion. But Freemasonry, the goal of all masonry, is to reach the celestial lodge in the sky, which is presided over by the great architect of the universe, or what they call the G-A-O-T-U, great architect of the universe. Who is this God? He is whatever you conceive him to be. So now we have the basis for Alcoholics Anonymous. You know how many churches today host Alcoholic Anonymous 12-step programs? Are you trying to tell me that they're evil and they never help anybody? I'm not saying that they don't help anybody, but they're not Christian. They're not Christian. The leader who founded it was not a Christian. And it's based on the concept that you can have a higher power anything or anyone you conceive him to be. God as you conceive him to be. And Freemasons are very, very, um, they're very big on telling you, look, we don't worship any one particular God. In fact, their leader said, look, uh, we worship God, but he's not a, mo- a, um, uh, a monotheistic God like Christians worship. In fact, he's impersonal. What does that sound like? Hinduism. Hinduism worships, you know, an, uh, an impersonal God. And they will say to you, look, we have people from many different faiths. They pride themselves in the fact that around the same altar in, a, in, a, in one particular lodge, you might have a Christian and a Jew and a Hindu and a Buddhist all praying to God. We all worship the same God, they say. We just call them by different names. Is that true? Is the world just worshiping the same God in different ways, calling him different names? Well, again, the God of the Christian is a monotheistic God who is one God, but in a, as a trinity, three separate persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The second person of that trinity, the, God the Son, came down, died for our sins, rose again, and said, I'm the only way to heaven. The only way you can get to God, the Father, is through me. Muslims say, wait a minute, God is not a trinity. He is one God. He is merciful, but not necessarily loving or holy. The Christian God is merciful, loving, holy, and so on. Hindus, some Hindus worship an impersonal God that they call Brahman. Many other Hindus worship a myriad of gods, 330 million. So they're very polytheistic. Some Buddhists claim Buddha is God. Others say there is no God. The whole goal is in the afterlife to reach a blissful state of nothingness called nirvana. I mean, as you look at, you know, the world and what people believe about God, you cannot say that we're all worshiping the same God. People have radically different concepts of God. But Freemasonry, and I got this off of a website from a person who at once, one time was a Freemason, now he's a Christian, speaks out against these things, but he said Freemasonry teaches that there is one God and men of all religions worship that one God using a variety of different names. In a Masonic lodge, all join in corporate prayer to the great architect of the universe. Now, it sounds very inclusive and very tolerant. And they pride themselves by telling you that, look, when you belong to the Masons, we have Jews and Hindus and Zoroastrians and, 
and Buddhists and, and Christians all gathered together around the same altar, worshiping God together. Well, it sounds to me like you're saying there are many roads that lead to God. And the Bible says there is only one way that leads to God. Jesus said it is a very narrow and difficult road. I am that way. It's the way of the cross. Freemasons do not worship the God we worship. The disturbing thing about it is that there are over a million Southern Baptists who are Masons. People who love the Lord. Even though... Some time ago, the Southern Baptist Convention did a year-long investigation into Freemasonry and concluded that it comes out of the occult and Eastern mysticism, yet they still allow their members to be Freemasons. Just read Morals and Dogmas by Albert Pike, one of their, their leaders at one time. He quotes Zoroastrians, Buddhists, Hindus, etc. He claims that God is not personal. He's an impersonal God. Now we're back to Hinduism. Now I realize that many people, many men get into Freemasonry simply because if you're a businessman in town and there's a lot of Freemasons in your town, they pledge to support their own quite a bit. Then if you want to be successful in that town, you better become a Freemason. So a lot of people get into Freemasonry not really understanding it's like Mormonism. You know, there are layers. Well, in Masonry, it's degrees. And people that get into the first three degrees and often go no farther don't really understand how deeply occultic it really is. But you know what? I'm sorry. I, that doesn't excuse a Christian from becoming a Mason. Because to become a Mason, it's a secret organization. Do you realize that Every person becoming a Mason at the first level has to take an oath to have their throat slit, their tongue torn out, and their body buried in the sand at low tide if they ever tell anyone, including their wife, what goes on in the lodge behind closed doors. Now, as a Christian, could you, in, in, in good conscience, take a, an oath like that? Your loyalties are to the lodge first. They're your Lord. How could you do that? How could you worship around an altar with Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims and others of different faiths as if you're all one big family with the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man? That's what they believe. Albert Pike, the supreme pontiff of universal Freemasonry at one time, said this, and I quote, Masonry is that religion around whose altars the Christian, Hebrew, Muslim, Hindu, the followers of Confucius and Zoroaster can unite in prayer. Now, the Bible tells us that we are headed for an ecumenical movement that will unite the world in a one-world religion. And it seems as though Freemasonry could be poised to play an important part in that. But Masons have always held positions of power and influence and have always pledged to help fellow Masons advance. The Supreme Court that gave us abortion dominated by Masons. Do you know that there is a high number of Masons in the Senate and Congress of the United States? They have always held high positions of influence and power in government, federal, state, and at the local levels. This is the prayer given in the opening ceremony for the 31st degree of the Scottish Rite. Listen to this. 
Hear us with indulgence, O infinite deity. Let the great flood of Masonic light flow in a perpetual current over the whole world and make masonry the creed of all mankind. End quote. That's their goal. A world united under the religion of Freemasonry. And isn't it convenient because it tolerates and includes so many other different religions? So it's a great common ground for people of all different faiths to join together. You know, wouldn't it be very easy for the world to federate under a one-world religion if you could basically believe what you wanted to believe and still come under the banner of that one-world religion? To me, makes sense. I don't think you're going to get the whole world to change its beliefs on things. To make one primary belief system, but Freemasonry seems to answer that, come on in. We're all one big happy family. Doesn't matter what you believe. We, 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 just, we respect whatever you call God. But let's join together. Now, we could go on and on and on, but I think you get the idea. Okay? I mean, there are so many other cults and religions out there, and maybe you're thinking, oh, I was hoping you'd touch on this or that. Well, this was just to, to kind of stimulate you to do your own research. But now that you're armed with the basic philosophies and tenets of the lie, as you research some of these groups, you can begin to see a, a kind of a commonality, right? You can begin to see some common um, connections, I mean, they're, they're, they're different in some ways because they've, kind of, you know, they've kind of branched out and the lie has kind of morphed into certain other things, but, but they all kind of can be traced back to a common origin. The same lie that Satan told Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now, if the devil was just content to fill the world with this lie, that would have been bad enough. But over the last 30 or so years, he's had tremendous success in infiltrating the church with this lie. And that really is where I've been wanting to go with this study from the time we started it. But I had to lay the groundwork. Because we are the light of the world. We have been called to go into a hostile world with the truth of God and do battle against the lies of the devil. And God has blessed us and the church has made incredible roads into the world as far as bringing people to Christ over the last 2,000 years. But the devil has made some pretty incredible inroads into the church as well. And you know what? If Satan can get into the church with enough of the lie to neutralize the truth, good Christians love the Lord, but are not discerning enough, or who have been taught by their pastors, you don't question people in authority in the church. Why? Because they're infallible? You don't question what a man of God teaches. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Paul said, look, let the prophets prophesy one at a time. Let the others do what? Judge. We are to be Bereans. We are to search the scriptures every day to make sure that what we're being taught is really God's word, God's truth. Because if we don't, we're going to be deceived. And we'll have nobody to blame but ourselves. And you can't stand before God and say, well, God, I was in a church and it was my pastor. He was off. I didn't realize it. God says, I, I gave you my word and I gave you my spirit. And I said, you didn't have need of any man to teach you, but the spirit of God would teach you all things. But you didn't study. You didn't dig for yourself. The real 
issue, if we're going to battle for truth, it has to start right in our own churches. We have to be aware if we're going to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ and earnestly contend for the faith, then we had better be discerning enough to understand what the lie is all about, and we, we had better be alert enough to see when it tries to infiltrate into our fellowships. That is the real danger. We know the world is filled with lies and darkness, but we're the light. But if Satan can infiltrate the church and put the light out, man... The world's in big trouble because we're the only light. Jesus Christ told us that. You and you alone are the light of the world. Go into all the world and preach the good news to every person. Satan is neutralizing our ability to go into all the world and be a light. And so we want to begin to look at this next week. And I'll leave you with a couple of Scriptures, Acts chapter 20, verse 29. As Paul was addressing the Ephesian elders one last time, he said, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. What did Jesus say about false prophets? They would come in among you dressed like what? They would be what? Wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. That's what Paul's talking about. And he told Timothy, Now the Spirit expressly says, that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Demons have doctrines, and those doctrines always center around the lie, and they're in the church. And as good soldiers of Jesus Christ who want to contend earnestly for the faith, we had better know what they are. Paul said, I pray for you Philippians all the time, and I pray two things primarily, that your love would increase, but also your discernment. We want to be a loving, but also a discerning church. May God give us the grace to do